Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, welcome to Parenting the Adlerian Way. I'm your host, Adlerian family counselor and parenting expert, Allison Schaefer. Each week, I answer your burning parenting questions to help reduce the stress of parenting one tip at a time. We'll explore Adlerian psychology together and learn methods of child guidance for raising a happy, confident, capable, resilient child. Hi there, it's Allison. Welcome back to the podcast. Today we have another Q&A episode for you, and uh, I can tell that people are busy with their summer holidays because I don't have as many as I usually do, but I've got two doozies for you. Uh, So let's get right into it. First one here. Hi, Allison. Thanks so much for all the information you give to parents around the world. Here is my question for you. The following happens to my six-year-old nephew. When he meets a boy from his school with things in common, he wants to play only with that one boy to the point that the boy feels overwhelmed because my nephew is always behind him. And my nephew gets really sad if the boy doesn't want to play with him because he's overwhelmed. My nephew's mom is worried that when he is an adult, he will be emotionally dependent on his love partner and will suffer if they break up. Please, what causes this behavior and how could my nephew be helped? Greetings. So the first thing I would say is let's not get too ahead of ourselves here. He's only six years old. This is the developmentally appropriate time for kids to be learning how to make friendships, how to engage in play, uh, how to set appropriate boundaries with one another. And so he's figuring this out. And no doubt that he's a little bit in lag time because during the pandemic, kids didn't have the same amount of time to get together to practice some of these skills. So he's probably more at a four-year-old's level of social engagement. And it's very common that somebody will be interested in that person and to have a style of friendship where they are sort of serially monogamous. They want one best friend. They want to play with that person all the time. And and when that friendship is over, they move on to the next person. So that's a style of being in friendships that's very common with younger kids, as opposed to others who hang out with multiple people or in bigger groups or what have you. 
So this is not concerning to me at all. I am not worried about him being emotionally dependent on a love partner in the future. Will he suffer when he has a breakup? Of course he will. Well, we're all going to suffer when we have a breakup. And he may even suffer some uh, heartache when friends uh, come in and out of his life. So if he's overwhelming this person, the other friend might not want to play with him. And uh, that loss of friendship might cause him some suffering. But we have to remember in our Adlerian framework here, that parenting, as Alfred Adler said, is to prepare our children from life, not to protect them from it. And the reality of life is that we go in and out of friendships and in and out of relationships, and that does cause some suffering, and that's the nature of life. So he's going to get some practice on that while he figures out how better to socialize. I think that you can have conversations with him to help him uh, understand that just because somebody doesn't want to play with you all the time, it is not an indication that you aren't a good friend or that you're not important to them, but that just like, you know, parents have to go to work and wash dishes and do laundry and walk dogs, uh, people have other things that they need to do. And it doesn't mean that you're less important or that the friendship is less important. You can also see if the teacher has a way in the classroom or whoever's caretaking them to have him be assigned a different person other than the best friend that he's glomming on to, to get two of them to do a task together. So you might ask the two, that boy and a new friend, a possible friend in the future, if they could both tuck all the chairs in or hand out snack or collect up all the balls because when you're given a job to do with another person, then you have commonality, a shared experience, you start talking, and it doesn't take a whole lot for a child to kind of break through and then say, hey, we both cleaned up the balls. Do you want to play at recess? Or, you know, we both cleaned up the balls. Do you want to come play this game together? So he might be introduced to another friend in the classroom so that he can open his horizon from one friend to some, some other friends. So be patient. He's young. Uh, he's lived through a pandemic. I think he's just in lag time. So I hope that gives you a couple ideas of some, some help there. Question number two. Can you talk about starting conversations with kids about sexual consent? Is 11 years old too early? My daughter knows what sex means and knows that it's for adults and needs to be consensual, but only at a high level in that both people need to agree to it. Not all the nuances of consent and pressure, what to do in the moment if you feel uncomfortable, etc. I witnessed fellow mums of teenage kids going through a tough time on the topic and it had me wondering, what is the recommended messaging and when is the time right to have these conversations? So when you're talking about anything to do with um, uh, teaching about sex, uh, identity, any these are complex topics. Uh, so is talking about money and, uh, and all the things that you have to learn about finances. Uh, these are never one and done conversations that would fit into like a specific age category that says at age 11, they're developmentally ready to hear X, Y, and Z. Instead, these are rolling conversations that get more deep and more complex with age and time such that you're layering and adding in a way that the child is sort of ready and, and interested in, in hearing about. Um, so I would say that under the same category of sexual consent, think about all the way back to when our kids are very, very little. And if we want them to be able to say, speak up for themselves and say, no, I don't feel like doing that or not right now. Um, they have to have a sense of empowerment. They have to have a sense of voice and they have to be very in touch with their feelings. So I would say that you're setting down the groundwork with that way back, even in toddlerhood, when a um, toddler is eating 
even a baby, I guess you could say, but, you know, eating in a high chair. And if we get very pressureful about like, just one more bite, just finish your peas. You're basically saying that somebody knows more about their body than they do. So even a baby in a high chair, when you're feeding them, it's very easy for an adult to say, oh, come on, you know, finish up one more bite, one more bite. And when we're doing this, we're really saying that somebody knows and is controlling their body. So we want to flip that around from the youngest of age to say, you know, it's stop eating when you're full. Only you know your body. Rub your tummy and ask yourself, are you, are you full? Do you need another bite? Only you can know for sure. And the same when they're learning to potty train where, you know, you can say, look at you. You really know your body. You really know when it's telling you to go pee. All of those things are sending these subtle messages that it's your body, you need to listen to it, it has wisdom, and that people will respect when you speak up. No, I don't need to pee. Yes, I am full. And so all of those are really the beginning of consent. When kids get older, another consent issue comes up when parents... uh, maybe encourage them to kiss a grandparent and they don't feel like kissing a grandparent. And if the parent is embarrassed, you know, oh, come on, give grandpa a kiss. And the child is refusing and the parent forces them to do it. This is uh, a bad message. Instead, we want to say, oh, you know what, grandpa, it looks like she's not feeling like she wants to kiss today. That's okay. Let us know when you, if you feel like it later. So that we're respecting as opposed to forcing even at this very young age, even with family members, it's setting very good messaging and boundaries from the youngest age so that by the time you get to 11, that conversation is going to be a little bit different. And so at 11, you could start asking questions not only about herself, but also about her age group. I find kids are more open and disclosing when you say things about their age group. You know, is there anybody in your class that's starting to date or are your friends starting to to talk about um, boyfriends and girlfriends and things like that. And um, are people starting to play some of those games like spin the bottle? So you can ask probing questions, not have you played spin the bottle? Are you interested in anyone? That might be a little bit harder, but it gives you a sense of of where where she and her peer groups are at. And I find it's very geographically bound. I find one middle school, people will be having these sort of beginner relationships and at other ones, not at all, not till high school. So depending on where you are, you have to kind of keep a pulse on it that way. And then of course, there is always the opportunity to bring up small little discussion points when you see things in movies or in the books that they're reading. And that can be a springboard for a conversation. You know, do you think that was really appropriate that, um, do you think she really felt like doing that? It's terrible in that uh, in movies, we really don't do modeling of what good healthy consent looks like. And you don't see in the scenes People asking each other, is that okay? Is this still okay? Do you like that? Um, Can I keep going? It's just not written in the script. So the kids don't get good modeling of that. So I think that we can also help by showing them uh, about what that conversation can kind of look like. And then using metaphors and two that are very popular and you can check them out on on YouTube. One uses the metaphor of having a cup of tea and the other one is on ordering a pizza. Although I've been told the pizza one isn't a good metaphor uh, because there's some, I don't know, some pizza associated with with some other creepy stuff, which I tried to Google and I don't understand. But anyway, if if that's the case, please, somebody let me know more. I couldn't find out what people were referring to. But the way I like the pizza metaphor is that it's uh, sort of showing you that 
um, when you're being sexually active, and that can be anything from holding hands to kissing, um, that it's a little bit like ordering a pizza in that you can say, tonight I don't feel like pizza. You know, it might have been that we talked about having pizza, but now that the time actually came, I don't feel like it anymore. And that's completely fine. Uh, you can say just the fact that last Friday we had pizza, this Friday I, I, I don't want it. Or uh, the same idea around let's we need to talk about what we're going to have on our pizza. And just because we had pepperoni last time doesn't mean that I want pepperoni this time, meaning that consent is something that you check in on constantly. If you um, were allowing heavy petting and feeling each other up one time doesn't mean that you're now like through that barrier and that's going to be part of your sexual play every time. It has to be rediscussed. Um, it, it also doesn't have to be reciprocal. So you can say, well, you know what? You might want pepperoni on your half, but I don't want it on mine. So, you know, maybe I can touch you, you know, below the belt, but I don't want you down there. And that's okay. Um, it doesn't have to be, hey, you know, I put out this much, so you have to put out that much. So this, I think the pizza does make, um, you know, a, a, a good metaphor for the way that, that I understand it and kids seem to be able to understand that. So it's it's ongoing, it's a conversation, it's dialogue, and, and it takes a lot of courage to kind of speak up and have words around that. And that's why I think anytime a child is able to speak up and be listened to and to know that their words mean something, they're more empowered to do it in, in the, the relationships that they're having with other um, sexual partners. So when your child speaks up, to you at home? Are you having family meetings? Are you really listening to what your kids say? Do they feel a sense of empowerment that they can change and direct the course of their life based on input that they make? Those are all very democratic Adlerian ideas that are embodied in, in having democratic principles rule your family and having your family meetings. So you may not see the direct line to that being a conversation about consent or training your child for consent, uh, but those are absolutely some of those uh, precursor subskills that you uh, will benefit from as your kids hit the teen years. So if you want specifically more information around um, conversations around uh, sex, sexual consent, um, you know, we've got other podcasts where I've had um, guests, sex educators uh, on the show, and they've got great websites and resources. So I will encourage you to go back and um, scroll through previous episodes and get more content around there. And again, even though I said bringing it up in movies and, and through books, I'm just talking any movie, any book, but of course there are great uh, books about puberty and uh, um, the beginning of relationships that are put out for age appropriate uh, content. And it doesn't mean that you have to e evade your responsibility of talking about the content of the book with your kids, but some people find it easier to, share a book with the child, have them read the book, and then have the content of the book be what they talk about in their uh, ongoing conversations. So, you know, look for those. Um, you can go to a library or a bookstore or search online. Children's librarians make great recommendations. So look for look for a good resource. There's certainly lots out there that are age-specific. So I hope that gives you some confidence. Thank you for the question. And uh, I will say to all, I have an ongoing appreciation for your listening. It really helps me if you subscribe or like or uh, write a review. It helps get the word out to other people. And of course, always looking for questions. So uh, catch you next time. Enjoy the rest of your summer. As you know, it takes a village to make a podcast, so thanks to my team, including Max Cotter, my editor and technician, as well as the crew at H2O Digital. This podcast was recorded in Toronto, Canada. 
We acknowledge the land we are meeting on is the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabek, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat people, and is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit and Métis. We also acknowledge that Toronto is covered by Treaty 13 with the Mississaugas of the Credit. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style.